Welcome back to Stern Chats. My name is Srishti Chandra. And I'm Cameron Murphy. And you just heard the sons of fabulous Stern professor Jennifer Wynn. Stern Chats is a podcast that explores the untold stories of the NYU Stern community members, and sometimes their adorable family members. This week, we're speaking with Professor Jennifer Wynn. Professor Wynn is a clinical assistant professor at NYU Stern School of Business and the founder of Wynn Strategies, a consultancy focused on organizational transformation, change leadership, and healing across sectors. She is passionate about leadership development and education at all levels. Previously, Professor Wynn was the Director of Education at the Obama Foundation, a manager at McKinsey and & Company, and a board member of a private education technology company called OutSchool. She has an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business, an MED from Hunter College, and an AB from Harvard College. Professor Wynn teaches an introspective, engaging course called Difficult Conversations, and today we're honing in on a topic that often fills the role of special guest star on her syllabus, managing your energy to maintain peak performance. You'll get a preview of what you can learn in Professor Wynn's class, as well as pick up some valuable skills for your personal and professional life. With that, let's get started. Hi, Professor Wynn. So happy to have you here today. How are you? (laughs) Hi, Shristi. Hi, Cam. I'm so excited to be here. We love it. So to start, we're going to dive right in, and we'd love to know how you ended up teaching a course called Difficult Conversations. (laughs) Yeah, I'm probably one of the few people who will smile while saying that. (laughs) Um, And I love teaching difficult conversations because that course and the content in it has helped me perform my best in my most consequential moments in life and in my career. And so I wanted to share that with Stern students. I'm a Stern alumna. I love our community. Yeah. (laughs) I'm dancing in the background. (laughs) And uh, furthermore, when I was at McKinsey uh, the second time, because I actually did two different stints at McKinsey & Company, um, we created some content for senior executives to help them, you know, refine their leadership skills. Now, obviously, by the time you're a senior exec, um, you know a lot about leadership. And uh, it it was challenging to come up with content that would be meaningful to folks who already were so successful in their careers. But hands down, one of the top two content areas that they loved learning about was managing difficult conversations. And at that time, we called it mastering challenging conversations. And they kept saying, wow, if I had had this content earlier in my career, when I was a middle manager or earlier, I could have spared myself so much heartache (laughs) and so much difficulty. Um, Why didn't they teach us this sooner? And I thought, oh, great point. I have my MBA and no one taught me this when I was you know, learning about management and leadership. And that's when I thought, let me go back to Stern and suggest a course called Difficult Conversations. And they accepted it. And that was, uh, let's see, 2017, I proposed it. 2018, I started teaching it. So five years ago. Five years. That's amazing. So I think at this point, you've probably had a little bit of time to see patterns if they exist among the MBA students in terms of strengths and weaknesses that they're bringing into the course. So I would love to hear a little bit about what you've observed over the past five years. Yeah, great question. So on the strength side, I have definitely seen empathy grow and grow year over year. And that's exciting for a lot of reasons. Um, As a human being, (laughs) 
<laughs> I want to be understood. Uh, most humans want to be understood and heard. And so increased empathy uh, amongst the future leaders of business? Yes, please. Uh, but also as a member of the Stern community, I love knowing that we're full of folks um, who are already strong on their EQ and who are investing the time and coursework to get even stronger. And then as it relates to difficult conversations specifically, I talk about growing the shared pool of meaning or the shared pool of understanding between me and whomever else I'm speaking, that that's the real purpose of dialogue. Dialogue is effective when we walk away having a greater shared understanding between us. If I can uh, flex my empathy muscles, right? If I can do some perspective taking, then I can gain access to information and data that I didn't have prior to this conversation. And that means I'm using my empathy muscles to grow the shared understanding and meaning between us. And from that shared meaning, we can create some solutions that actually get to the heart of the matter and actually address the problem from both of our perspectives, not just one of our perspectives. So for many reasons, including how it relates to the course content, I think empathy is a really powerful strength that I'm seeing uh, amongst MBA students and I'm seeing it grow. I it's good to know that our, our IQ EQ brand is legitimate, at least in your experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 I love it. Completely echo that, Kim. And Professor Wynn, I'm sure you see uh, over the past couple of years that you've taught this course, you see the students really transform and, and grow these muscles. But from your lens, I'm sure you're seeing a lot more than that. So I'm curious, as you've taught this course, what have been your favorite parts about teaching? <laughs> I really appreciate the opportunity to reflect on what I'm grateful for. So thank you for the gratitude prompt. The number one thing I love is receiving feedback, stories of how these skills have changed people's lives for the better. And I've seen it across every facet of life. So just this past fall, I got an email from someone who said their summer internship uh, was not going well at the beginning. And they started to implement concepts from the Difficult Conversations course. And by the end of the internship, it was in a much better place, just a total 180 from where she had started. And to receive notes like that, oh man, I just, I love knowing that I've empowered anyone and let alone someone in the Stern community with the skills to get what they want in life um, and what they're working hard for. So I love stories of success and I've seen them across every facet of life, internships, study groups, romantic relationships, friendships, family relationships, professor-student relationships. I mean, the list goes on and it's really rewarding. Having taken your class, I will add right now that it made me a lot less afraid to have difficult conversations because I think a lot of what prevented me was fear. And so being able to have the repetition and do the mock conversations in class was really, really impactful on my ability to actually initiate them. So thank you for that. That's my positive feedback. And I also, I wanted to touch on something else that I really took away from it, which was that you share quite openly about your own difficult conversations. And sometimes you even draw this raw emotion from people in the class. And I'm curious about how you landed on displaying such a depth of vulnerability as part of your teaching process. I've got two answers to this. One is related to the content and one is related to my values and beliefs. So for the content, at the end of the day, what makes a conversation difficult 
is much more about the inner experience that each one of us is having, that fear, for example, that you talked about, Cam, and what that does to our nervous system, um, the amygdala in the back of our brain, the nervous responses that we get, the physiological symptom, you know, cues like sweating and that kind of stuff. It's much more about the inner experience and much less about the topic. And when I say that, I'm not talking about you know, extremes. I'm not talking about abuses of power, uh, harassment. There are some things that are completely unacceptable, and that is about the topic. When I'm talking, what I'm talking about is more day-to-day sources. And so, since it's about the inner experience that each one of us is having, I need self-awareness that I am having a, a moment of trigger, that I am off-center. I'm not balanced, and I'm not being my best self in this moment. And from that place of awareness, I can pause the reaction that's happening within me and choose not to be emotionally reactive, but instead choose my response and in so doing, choose the response that serves me best, right? So in order to move from that emotional reactivity that happens when we're in difficult conversations to choicefulness, which is what happens when we strategically and effectively lead a difficult conversation to a productive outcome, I've got to be self-aware. So the content requires an introspection and a level of self-awareness that I want to teach everyone and I want to be able to model. That's on the content side. In terms of myself, uh, my values, my beliefs, I say this in the class all the time, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself, right? There's strength in numbers. If we are going to be introspective and vulnerable and critically analyze the parts of our behavior that do and don't serve us, the self-talk or the mindsets that do and don't serve us, then we've all got to be willing to do it. That's what creates the psychologically safe and brave space that helps us step outside of our comfort zone, learn something real, practice it, to your point, Cam, and in this safe and brave space, I can practice things that uh, I otherwise wouldn't have been willing to try. And that's when the behavior change comes. That's when the breakthrough comes and the transformation. And in terms of values, I'd say one of my highest values is helping people realize their full potential. I love seeing people shine. And so if I'm going to create the environment where we're going to step outside of our comfort zone and learn new habits that will help us shine, I've got to be willing to do that too. Otherwise, no one's going to trust me. (laughs) So... I'm willing to be vulnerable and share some of my toughest moments in that class so that it's more possible that you will too. Well, that was a great answer. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I I love that because um, I I also think that the classes that have been most impactful in actually driving, um, you know, that self-awareness that you're talking about and those behavioral changes have been the ones, at least for me, where I've been able to see our professors practice it and know that, you know, this is a safe space in which we can practice too and we can open up as well to, to learn what it what it means to have those emotions and manage them and prepare ourselves for difficult conversations. And so in that, as we mentioned earlier, energy management is our specific topic for today. Will you tell us a little bit more about what energy management means in the context of your course? Mm, Yes. So, uh, and by the way, thank you, Shristi, for calling out how much you enjoy the courses where the professors are willing to be vulnerable too, because it is risky, but it sounds like it's high risk, high reward. So thank you. Okay. 
why energy management in difficult conversations? A lot of it has to do with students' asks. <laughs> Many times students said, okay, yeah, I can do all of these techniques and apply these frameworks, but my goodness, it takes a lot of energy and I feel drained afterwards. And my response to that is, yes, you're right. It is energy depleting. And so having a clear framework around what does it mean to manage my energy boosters and my energy depleters so that I do have sufficient energy when it matters most is exactly what the science of energy management is all about. How do I sustain peak performance when it most counts? That is a perfect segue because I would love to know what is an effective way to identify these boosters and depleters when you are trying to get better about managing your energy? Ooh, you talk about it. <laughs> Introspection plus discussion, uh, which I'd love to do with you all. Would it be helpful if I named the four areas of energy management? Yes. Yeah, go for it. Great. So I'm pulling from many sources here, but I'll name the most direct source that I'm pulling from, which is the Energy Project. So you could all go to their website. It's a consultancy that's been around for over 20 years. The co-founders were Tony Schwartz and Jim Lair. Uh, Jim Lair was a performance psychologist uh, who worked with many athletes and then C-suite leaders to help them sustain their peak performance. And Tony Schwartz has written many books and articles, including a really classic HBR article called Manage Your Energy, Not Your Time. So feel free to go to the direct sources. But the high-level summary is that effective leaders, we'll call them professional athletes, <laughs> if we want to put it in the psychology of performance, know how to manage peak performance by having disciplined recovery built into the way they work. And where do you get that recovery? It's from four different sources. So mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. So mental is about the mind, right? How much energy do I have for focus, for presence, for creativity, for curiosity? Physical is about the body. Do I have the physical energy I need and does it show up in my stamina over time and in my health? Emotional, I said, is about the heart. So this is about what I'm feeling and my nervous system, is it regulated? If it's not, if I'm low on emotional energy, I'm gonna feel anxious, rigid, impulsive, defensive, and spiritual is about meaning. Now, a lot of times when people hear this word spiritual, they think religion. It certainly can be about religion, but it does not have to be about religion. So when I say meaning, it's, Am I living my life in a way that's aligned with my highest values? Do the things I do bring me meaning and purpose? So those are the four areas of energy management. And I'd love for us to chat about each of these areas and just start to reflect out loud in each area, what takes away my energy, so a depleter, and what boosts my energy. Are you down to talk energy boosters and depleters? Absolutely. I'll actually start with an example that I have rediscovered recently. I go through stages of being really into reading and then I kind of step away from it for a while and forget how much I love it and how much it fulfills me. And I think it's not 
maybe even in just one category. I think it maybe hits on multiple that you just mentioned. So maybe there's some of the mental, some of the emotional, maybe even some of the spiritual with certain things that I read. So for example, I just stayed up recently until 3 a.m. reading Station Eleven. And I wasn't even tired the next day because I was so excited about this book and I loved it so much. So I think that definitely would be one of mine. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing, Cam. And I love that it hits on multiple areas of energy management. That's almost a mega booster. Yes, I think it's effective when you can combine. So I'll go on a walk and call my mom and then I get the physical and the emotional. Yes. I have a a similar one that I think touches upon um, a lot, a couple of the different kinds of boosters. And so for me, it's, um, I actually grew up dancing, doing Indian classical dance and uh, honestly, whenever I can listen to like semi-classical music or go to dance classes, of which there are plenty in New York City, thankfully, um, I just feel so much better afterwards, like mentally better, physically, obviously, you know, I've danced for an hour, so I'm tired, but in the best way possible. And even when I wake up the next morning and if I'm sore, I still feel great about it. So I, I feel like that would be my biggest one, even though it's a little bit more taxing on the the time and space aspect of it. I love dance. (laughs) Well, I know you have one that relates a little bit to dance, Professor Wynn, but yours is very truncated time-wise. So I'd love you to share that one for people who are curious how they can fit in one of these boosters when they are short on time. Yes. Uh, Like you, Shristi, I love dance and it provides emotional energy for me, spiritual energy and physical energy. So for me, I take three minute dance breaks. So a favorite of mine is to put on any Beyonce song. Um, If I'm at my laptop, I'll just pull up YouTube and pull up one of her videos. If I have my phone with me, I'll pull up Spotify. These days I'm still listening to Renaissance. It's probably because I got Renaissance tickets and I cannot wait for the concert. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh. I mean, talk about a spiritual boost. Yes, the queen, the the most Grammiest winning performer of all time. (laughs) You must have some good karma or something. That's incredible. (laughs) So it actually connects to another source of my energy, which is spending time with my sisters really means a lot to me. We had a really tough childhood, to be honest. And so we are a source of comfort and strength and courage for one another. And so my sisters and I, we are four total. All four of us had different ways of trying to get Beyonce tickets. And one of us, the sister whose birthday is on July 30th, got tickets on July 30th. Wow. I mean, that's just meant to be. (laughs) The best birthday present. Sorry, Professor Wynn, on the note of, you know, your energy boosters and dancing as we both have in common, for me, something I found is that dance hasn't been something I've been always able to keep in touch with. As I mentioned, it's it requires space. Sometimes there's not classes around. And, and I've noticed that I turn to different activities like cooking or reading um, at different points in my life. So I'd imagine that your energy boosters and depleters can change over time. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? And how often do you check in with yourself to see what's maybe boosting your energy and, and reconnecting with yourself that way? Mm, great question. Your energy boosters and depleters can absolutely change over time. Our circumstances change, our responsibilities change, our time constraints change, and therefore our energy management plan should change. So for example, I have little kids, I have two young kids, so they wake up around 6.30 a.m. If 
if I want to guarantee that I have solo time, me time, it has to be before 6.30 a.m. Fine, I've gotten used to doing that these days. That's not how I got my energy boosters in <laughs> previously. But even with that plan in place, me waking up before the kids, I still sometimes find myself short on time. For example, if the kids have a rough night, you know, they wake up in the middle of the night and now no one has slept well. In a situation like that, instead of me riding my Peloton for 30 minutes, or instead of me taking a walk to Prospect Park or a run for 45 minutes, I'm gonna do a five minute meditation on my Calm app because that's all I've got. And so for a variety of reasons, we wanna have different durations of time available to us for our energy boosters. We wanna have a five minute booster, a one minute booster, a 30 minute booster, an hour long booster, and sprinkle those throughout our day, week, and month to match whatever circumstances we're in at any given point in time. I think that's great to have different different time um, segments for boosters. I definitely need to figure out what my, my two minute one is because those are the two minutes I can never seem to grab in the morning. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I, I need to work on my efficiency because I always think that I need four hours to even start to relax. So that's just a personal problem. <laughs> To draw it to a situation that is a little bit more specific to the MBA experience, obviously a lot of us will be new hires, whether it's as interns or starting full-time roles after graduation. And it can be really challenging to make your preferences known when it comes to things like meeting timing or structure or other things in the workplace that affect your energy in either a positive or a negative way. So what are some ways to incorporate those preferences or build awareness of them among your colleagues when you are new? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this goes back to having shared understanding with our colleagues. And so if we can create an opportunity for ourselves to share what helps me be at my best, what helps me sustain that peak performance, it's gonna be better for everyone. So what could be those ways? I could bring it up in a check-in with my manager. I could say, hey, something I wanna be really intentional about is bringing my best self to work every day. And I know that the things that enable me to do that are, and then you insert whatever your things are. Might be exercising three times a week. Might be uh, making sure you speak to your family that's far away each evening. Might be a once a week therapy session. Whatever that is, to the extent you feel comfortable sharing it, let them know when I'm able to do this, I am consistently performing at a higher level and that's what I wanna to bring to this workplace. Any thoughts about how we could partner to protect that time while making sure I absolutely hit um, all of my deadlines and give you the best quality work whenever I'm delivering, right? Something that lets them know this is not an either or, this is a yes and. That's a one-on-one -on -one situation. You could also invite the team to have a team meeting, like a huddle about what enables you to be at your best and how can I help you? How can I support that? And after having gone around the circle, right, five, six, however many teammates you have and ask them what enables them to perform at their best and how you can support them, it's only fair that you get a turn <laughs> to share what enables you to perform at your best and hopefully they'll have, you know, caught on at that point and then ask you, how can we support you? Well, it sounds like everyone just needs to take your class so that they know how to have the conversation with their manager. They'll be very well equipped. 
<laughs> to go into that office and talk about it. You are a good salesman. Oh my gosh, I totally agree with that. <laughs> Please, I would love to see more folks. Difficult Conversations has been growing year after year, and I would love to keep that upward trend. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm sure there's plenty of demand for this course. I know I myself wish I can fit in in my schedule in, in another semester or something. So I, I think that students would love it. I was going to add on to what you were saying, and I, I think it's great that you're giving students the tools to have these conversations in the workplace. But as we all know, things don't always go our way, and sometimes we can find ourselves on teams that might be more aligned with our energy depleters than they are our boosters, or honestly, we're just burnt out and what was working isn't working anymore. So what do you do in those scenarios? How can we realign and, and figure out a way to make the situation work best for us? Whew. I wish I had the silver bullet, <laughs> the, you know, the one <laughs> magical quick fix. Um, I don't have that, but I can share a few things that come to mind. One is, of course, connected to energy management, and that's about being disciplined about your recovery. When you have a setback, when you are in burnout, when you just know that you are not at your best, you have to build in the recovery to get back to your best self. So that's one. A second is around pausing. We don't give ourselves the permission to pause sometimes and say, hey, I'm realizing that I'm not showing up in this moment the way I want to. I value our relationship way too much for me to not be as thoughtful as I know I can be. Could I come back in 10 minutes? Or if that's even too much, can I just step out to the restroom and be right back? And that's a moment where you use your one minute energy booster or you calm down, center yourself, take a deep breath and reframe. And instead of viewing this as a situation where I'm fearful of messing up, I'm gonna instead think about what's possible here. What can I learn in this situation? If I look back at this from a week from now, a year from now, how would I have wanted to show up? Okay, that's what I'm gonna go do. And then come back in. Pressing pause can be a gift that we give to ourselves and to the other person, and I don't think we do it enough. No, definitely, and I, I think it all goes back to what you were saying too about how we can control our own circumstances with self-awareness and uh, knowing what emotions we're going to have in certain times and being less reactive and more um, thoughtful about the situation. It sounds like based on that answer, that one thing you can actually do during a difficult conversation is to step away and take a moment when you need it and then come back with additional energy. But I'm wondering just to apply this concept of energy management to difficult conversations a little bit more specifically, are there any other tools or strategies that you can apply when you are struggling through or experiencing fatigue during a difficult conversation? So in addition to the pause, there's what I do before I go into the difficult conversation. So if I know that I'm going to have a performance review that makes me nervous, or I'm gonna let a family member or friend know that they crossed a boundary of mine that I don't find acceptable, and I'm nervous that it might put the relationship at risk. All of these moments of anxiety, nervousness, worry are a hint that I could use an energy boost. I could come to this situation a better version of myself. 
And that's when I'd say, full force, <laughs> bring in the energy boosters, right? So how can I plan right beforehand to put, to pr protect, to plan and protect the time for the energy booster that matches the task? So for example, when I need to be really hyped and high energy, I'm gonna put on a certain type of music right before I go in. And when I need to be really calm and centered and be the uh, voice of reason in a conversation, I'm gonna put on another type of music. So in scenario one, I'm probably gonna put on Kendrick Lamar. Think like the first Black Panther album. And scenario two, I'm probably gonna put on some good reggae, like think Chronics or Bob Marley. Something that gets me calm and centered and is a source of love and um, yeah, groundedness for all of us. So not only do I wanna plan time to have an energy booster ready before I go into a difficult conversation, I wanna in be intentional about what type of energy booster and match that energy both in level and quality to the task at hand. I love that. I also am waiting for you to share these playlists that you clearly have carefully curated so that we can all benefit from them and listen to them prior to our performance reviews. <laughs> I will say picking the song intentionally matters because, well, some of Kendrick Lamar <laughs> is not the energy you want to carry into. Yes. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. I also since you mentioned professional athletes earlier, would be so interested to know what all of them listen to before their big matches or games. Yes. Well, LeBron James, you know, highest NBA scoring player of all time, famously or maybe infamously, will take a nap before a game. He is very serious about sleep and how, you know, sleep enables him to sustain peak performance. So, for some folks, it's music. For some folks, it's a nap. <laughs> know your individual energy boosters and depleters and protect time for them. Definitely. I feel like mine are more aligned in the music sector <laughs> along <laughs> with you, Professor. Well, I can't let us close out without asking you about a question I actually received from a friend the other day, and it does very much tie into the difficult conversation topic. How do you tell someone that they have terrible breath? Oh my, hmm. How receptive is this person to feedback otherwise? I think we can say fairly receptive. Okay, so that's helpful to know. Important data is what I'll categorize that as. Um, the second piece of data I wanna gather is how strong is the relationship when it comes to trust? I think we can say this is a friend. Not, a, not the closest of friends, but a friend. I'm trying to generalize as much as possible to make it applicable to others who may be in the same scenario and struggling with it. <laughs> so in the Difficult Conversations course, we talk about leading the conversation to a productive outcome, both for the content and for the relationship. And so this is one of those times where you have to have a difficult conversation with yourself and ask, is this going to help the heart of the matter, which is how I feel when I smell your, your breath, <laughs> <laughs> and help the relationship? Or is it only gonna help one of these two things? If I can find a way to have it support both the content and the relationship, then by all means go forward. But if I'm gonna have to pick one over the other, 
then that's a real talk conversation with myself about whether I'm willing to lose one of these things. If I'm in the situation where I think, yeah, I can save the relationship and get to the heart of the matter here, then by all means go forward. And I would start with the contrasting technique, by which I mean contrast what you don't want to have happen in this conversation from what you do want to have happen. So, hey, I'm going to share something with you that's a little hard to say out loud, but I'm doing it from a place of love and how much respect I have for you and our friendship. My hope is that that's how you'll take it. What I don't want to have happen is I share this um, and then I lose our friendship as a result. So is it okay with you um, if I share something that might be hard to hear? That was a much better, much better answer than I gave. I said, keep a pack of gum on you and try to share the sticks in the pack as much as possible. (laughs) And that would be a great solution if you decide that the relationship will fall apart as a result. No, I appreciate you giving me more credit than I deserve. Thank you. That's really kind. Well, I am definitely feeling energized after this conversation, which is perfect timing since we are rolling into all of the midterms and group projects. Thank you to Professor Wynn for being such a thoughtful and insightful guest, as well as to my co-host, Tristy, our producer, Jack, and you for listening. <laughs>